Hey everyone. If you didn't know, A Child Walks in the Dark is also a collection of poetry, and it is out and about and available from Harbor Editions as of now. So if you're liking the podcast, these fantastic conversations I've gotten to have with these folks, and you like the poems that end each episode, consider picking up a copy of the book. We can, all of us, I think, uh, use as much poetry in our lives as possible. Thank you. Welcome to A Child Walks in the Dark, a podcast hosted by award-winning poet and author Darren C. Demery. Each week, Darren and a series of other parents and creative careers join up to discuss a different theme or challenge to raising children. Their joy, their narrative and languages, their lineage and authorship, their small towns and cities and hope, their community and efforts to save and be saved. Each episode explores the role of a creative person as a parent as they attempt to navigate the world their young people are growing into. This week's episode is That Cole, and our guest is Sarah Moore Wagner. Sarah Moore Wagner is the winner of 2021 Cider Press Review Editor's Prize for her book Swan Life, 2022, and the 2020 Driftwood Press Manuscript Prize for Hillbilly Madonna, 2022, and the author of two chapbooks, Tumbling After, Redbird Chapbooks 2022, and Hooked Through 2017. She is also a 2022 Ohio Arts Council Individual Excellence Award recipient, a 2021 National Poetry Series finalist, and the recipient of a 2019 Sustainable Arts Foundation Award. Her poetry has appeared in many journals and anthologies, including Six Finch, Waxwing, Nimrod, Rhino, Beloit Poetry Journal, and the Cincinnati Review, among others. Find her at www.sarahmorewagner.com. Now, Darren and Sarah Moore Wagner. And as promised today, our guest is poet, author, uh, mom, Sarah Moore Wagner. And our, our topic, our theme today is, is that coal, as in when your children come across something that has so grossly wronged the world, and they need to put language to it and they need to find a way to talk about it. Um, as they're searching for that, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable? And, and as parents, as they're looking for those correct words, um, how much do we need to, to monitor or police what they're saying? And um, should we do that at all? Sarah, your kids, as, as they're growing up and they're, they're developing their own stories and their own vernacular and their own language for how things work, how, how have you seen that change as they've grown up? Yeah, um, well, I ha it's interesting for me because I have three kids in, in three different stages, so I can kind of see between them how language progresses from like five, which is my youngest, to seven, and then 13 is my oldest, and he's really um, wanting to explore using, you know, profanity and all of that more. Actually, we were at um king's island and he wanted to walk with his friends and i was walking along and he's like mom can you just go somewhere else because i want to be able to like cuss and not feel bad <laughs> and 
I was like, what? You want to be able to, what, what are you going to say? You know? So, um, because I've never, I've always told my kids, like when they hear curse words, like, you know, you, you say in your poem, fuck right off, you know, um, that there are worse words than things like fuck and damn and all of that. Um, you know, words like ugly and stupid that we don't think of as, as cuss words that are actually hurtful to people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's just that spectrum of my little girls are really, they're starting to learn what bad words are and they're in the, you know, the new Lizzo song where she says about damn time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My seven-year-old is scandalized by that song. And, um, I'm like, it's not, I mean, it's not that bad. Just don't say it around older people or, you know, (laughs) well, and and understanding that the, the, the cuss words or the bad words are not as, as not as bad as words that have malice to them or hatred in them or, and that's, that's sort of a next level of processing for a child. Um, my thing has always been, if you use, if you use it, and this is the, the point of the poem, it's, if it's the right word, I'm, I'm okay with it. Right. Now, when they're younger and they, no one has tested me on this yet. The, the deal has been, if you use profanity, I'm going to ask you to write a one page paper on why it was the right word to use. And there will be no punishment. Like that's amazing. <laughs> if you, if you, if someone, you see something on the news, you run across something, you call someone, I don't know, a bastard, or you say, fuck you, or you use any of these words like that. I want to know why. Mm. Cause I am not against any of those words on principle. Um, the fact that when I was five, uh, a pastor or a parent or a grandparent, and you say a word that you heard someone else say, and you immediately get punished for it. Mm. Um, I don't find much value in that. I know we don't like to be embarrassed as parents, you know, that yeah. our, our children have sort of gone beyond some sort of boundary. Um, but I, I, you know, I think I look at the, the words with hate in them. You know, I would much rather my son say shit than call someone stupid. Yeah. Um, just because there's, there's, there, those words are more pointed and those words do more damage, um, than just because certain words have been put on a list by someone who is not me. Um, right. you know, it's, t- it's tough to explain that though. It's tough for them to understand. And by the way, nobody has, nobody has undertaken the essay yet. Nobody, they haven't yet. No, one, <laughs> no one has been like, okay, I'm going to say this cause it's the right word. I know I got to write the paper, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, I guess, writing a one-page thing is enough punishment. <laughs> so like, yeah, they, they know that that's going to happen. I think the only, my kids, they um, are strange. And I don't know what it is, except for my 13-year-old, who's now kind of pushing a border, but they're kind of rule followers. They've always been nervous about, um, you know, making other people upset. But the one thing that they were doing all the time that I had to kind of be like, you can't do that. Is, is saying, oh my God. And I come from like an evangelical background, but I'm not religious. And so I would just say it. And then they would say it around my mom and she'd be like, what kind of children? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have to, it's okay to say, oh my God, but let me, maybe not around grandma. Let's figure this out. <laughs> right. Well, your, your 13 year old, other than the, the sort of joy that profanity brings a teenager. 
he's also aware of a lot more things, right? Mm-hmm. He's aware of a lot more than the younger kids. And my my soon to be thirteen year old here in here in August, she's going to be thirteen, is the ultimate rules follower, most responsible person in the house, and wouldn't wouldn't dare to think uh, that it was okay, or would never throw out profanity. Um, but she's also reaching. Uh, that level of frustration with the world where she's having trouble putting a, putting language to it. Mm. Um, you know, when she, cause she listens to news podcasts and she listens to different things like that. And, you know, Roe v. Wade, um, some of the things with the border, uh, all the stuff, you know, January 6th, you know, when she's processing those things, she just tends to be quiet. She gets angry. She doesn't know what to say. Um, she doesn't know how to consume those things and let the words she know she knows uh, loose in a way that's going to comfort her or help her process the information. Um, and if you know, if when they had overturned Roe v. Wade, she had said, "Well, fuck this," I would have been like, "Yeah, that, that's that's right. that's, pro- that's probably right." Um, <laughs> but it's it's difficult for them um, to one find the right word. And before that, to process what's actually going on in these really sort of threatening, dark times things. Um, and so if, if, if in that search, profanity is what they choose, you know, I think, I think I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it's sort of a, a starting off point to have that longer conversation about the dark thing um, right. to sort of start to process it. Now, the, the nine-year-old and the four-year-old, um, you know, I, I don't think they would, they would reach for those words other than, you know, the nine-year-old's a boy and he hears, <laughs> he hears some things and he, you know, I'm sure he's enough of a, I want to be cool with my friends sort of guy that he would repeat something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it's part of his, his processing of things quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's how my, my oldest boy is. He, he tests the water with mm-hmm. what he can say and get away with. But then he also, like speaking of the dark times, he goes to um, the public school around here, Lakota. And I don't know if you've heard some of the things that have been happening um, with like our school board where the woman went in, it like made the national news. We have someone who um, is so anti-mask, so anti-critical race theory, anti-trans and LGBT people. She got voted onto the board, even though her children are homeschoolers. And she like stormed into the high school without a permit and was taking pictures of like rainbows and things on the door. Yeah, it's it's okay. crazy. And my son, he's like LGBTQ himself. And he um, he's like, his father's Jewish. You know, he has all of these things that he's he's grappling with. Mm-hmm. And then the, the culture is changing so much just even in the community. It's like a war against things that he is, you know, Hmm. and just providing him the language and also helping him to understand um, which language is hostile to him because he has these group chats. And I don't know if your 12, does your 12 year old have a phone yet? She's got (laughs) it because they started walking to and from school without us. So she got, she got a phone for that. Yeah. Yeah. He got a smartphone, but I put like the bark app on it. I don't know if you've heard of that. I don't. it like alerts you for all the profanity and words and everything. And some of them are just, you know, like the stuff like shit and 
Yeah. And I don't care. He he's in the drama club, and those drama kids they just have fun cussing. I guess the drama. Okay, I did I did sports <laughs> in high school, but I also was in the plays and musicals. And you know what? The plays and musicals kids were much more fun than my teammates. Yeah. So I totally get. So, it. I don't get. I mean, it's usually not him, but I'm like, I'm not gonna get mad at some other kid for saying like shit or something like that. Um, but then some of the other group chats will they'll say like gay, you know, stuff that I'm like that is. And so I have to have these big conversations with him. Like they don't understand how they're using it. They might know like your orientation, but it's still hostile. And maybe you should have this conversation. It's such a weird thing to say, like language holds weight and maybe you should confront other people for the, the things that they're using. And um, some of it's okay. And some of it's awful. You know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's one of the, the things that happens a lot with our, the teens at the library where they'll use gay in a negative connotation, not as an attempt at a slur or anything like that, but just, you know, that's gay. And we yeah. end up always having the discussion. It's sort of like, you know, gay isn't a negative thing. Don't use it like that. You're not, you know, and that that's the one that always catches them surprised by surprise. They know when they use profanity, they're going to immediately hear that, hey, we can't talk like that here. If you say it again, we, you know, like, you can't use the computers. We, we try not to ever kick people out of the library. It's a public library. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the conversation is always worth having with them because some of it, it's um, the way they use words is different than the way I use words. And it's worth it to have the conversation about how they could make their friend who's gay feel bad, mm -hmm. how they could make uh, the staff at the library feel not welcome at their own jobs. Um and it's, it's always worth it to have the conversation and to have more understanding, which I think the whole, the whole point of, of the, the poem from the book and, and the, this discussion is to try to understand everything as much as you can. And sometimes as we're looking for like a common language with another person, those like sort of brief interchanges set up a much safer, uh, more productive environment to have a conversation once you sort of set that, you know, I'm not really comfortable with this, or this is how that makes me feel. And I think is as often as we can have those conversations with our children, and with the younger people, uh, you know, in our community, you know, the better it's going to be as they try to make progress towards something. Um, now, if they're aggressive back, then it becomes a, a different sort of scenario. But in terms of our kids, so often they're trying to be trying to do the right thing. They're uh, smart and curious people who occasionally, because they're curious, go out of bounds or what other people would be considered, you know, to be out of bounds. Um, and I think that's just part of growing up. Um, you know, I'm always look for in any of the, these things malice. If there's malice behind it, if you're trying to hurt someone's feelings, if you're trying to be hurtful, or if you're physically trying to impose. Uh, some sort of anger towards someone, then obviously it's a, we immediately hit the brakes and it's a completely different kind of conversation. Um, but I think the searching is one of the things that develops a well-rounded child. And um, I'm still remembering like when I was five or six, I was in a playhouse at my babysitters and an older kid taught me to say the word bitch. <laughs> and so we would go to the playhouse so we could say that bad word. <laughs> and it, and, and what, what I, what I learned in the process was there were a lot of kids in elementary school that would have those little safe pockets where they learn a bad word and it's cool to say the bad word. And then the first time anyone says it like 
in public with like adults around. Everyone's like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. This is not, man, you broke the code. This is, yeah. <laughs> but it becomes something different as they reach 12 and 13. And there's actual, just an influx of information that they're trying to process and they're trying to fit themselves into this world. And sometimes it includes that kind of language work. Um, it, it's fascinating to me. And, and it's one of the things because you and I are who we are. It's, it's both interesting on a parenting level and on a, a language level and, and how the whole process develops. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe we're too curious, <laughs> but that's all right. Yeah. And it's a little bit stressful because it's like, when they're really little, you have this sort of bubble. Yeah. Where they're, they're afraid to kind of test the bubble and you're like, there's grown up words and there's kid words. And you can use these words maybe one day when you understand them and things. And then they hit like 13 and they're like, I'm a grown up. I understand everything. You know, <laughs> I'm not a kid. My son is always like, I'm not a kid. And I'm like, well, I keep telling him you're not a big kid until you're taller than me, which I'm pretty tall and he's not tall. <laughs> Hopefully one day, maybe he'll never be taller than me. And I can keep saying, Just keep, you've already set the precedent. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you can't do that until you're tall, but then he'll get taller than me and he'll think he can do everything. So we'll see. Well, now I feel good about us. I, I think we're about the same height. So yeah, I'm like five, eight. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I got, I got to just, you know, like, just you know, yeah. so you can use uh, those words. <laughs> I, it's fantastic. Well, and I learned because um, I go into elementary school sometimes to talk poetry with kids and I had to learn because I thought it would be cool always to bring in the books and show them the books and, oh, look, my photos on it. And, you know, there's someone who, who writes that kind of stuff. I had to stop doing it because they would find the profanity yeah. like that. And it would be, you know, Miss Danielle, I found a bad word in this book. <laughs> yeah, I go into school too. <laughs> you sort of Same thing. I'm like, head. don't Google me. No. Yeah. No. no. So I stopped, I stopped bringing, especially to like my kids' classes. I stopped bringing it. You'll just have to take, I'm being honest, there are books. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's why I had to write special poems to bring in just to elementary school kids about burping. Uh, and then the one that's most popular is just, it's nine lines of mispronouncing the word hippopotamus over and over again. Oh. It slays. They think it's the <laughs> best thing in the world. Um, all right. Well, let me ask this. Do the younger two, do they try to play catch up with the 13 year old in terms of the way they talk? Sometimes the middle one does okay. um, because she thinks he's so cool. The little one she just is in her own. I, you have three. So maybe, you know, this, like the youngest, just kind of my youngest and a couple of my friends, youngest who have three, they just kind of want their own space mm -hmm. and like to everyone to just leave them alone <laughs> so that they could do their own thing. Sure. And she is very much that way. Like, um, and, but Daisy is the middle one and she's kind of caught between wanting to communicate with him and, um, the way that she thinks that she does that is to talk about video games. Okay. And so um, sometimes when she'll want to make friends, she'll just talk endlessly about things like Pokemon. And I'm like, talk about the other things. The kids like, you know, like you're an interesting kid with a lot to say and you're just driving people kind of batty. So she's learning, <laughs> she's learning like that. Mm -hmm. What, what can I do to make other kids like me? And, and how can I navigate language and all mm -hmm. of that? right now 
<laughs> I, I think the divide in our house is 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 gender specific, where mm. both girls, the the twelve year old and the four year old, sort of are these uh, small like gymnast size people who mm. put their head down and swing their elbows, and if you get in their way, then there's going to be a conversation. Like neither of them have any issue taking an adult to task for something that they think has been done wrong. Now my 12 year old will pick like moments and be like, well, we should recycle better. And she will tell adults about the way they can improve their lives. Mm -hmm. The four-year-old literally pulled me chin, chin to chin, face to face and said, I need you to do the things I want you to do. <laughs> so, and my son is much more laissez-faire, just kind of like, hey, this is fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he just goes with the flow, yeah. Absolutely. That's so I, I'm, I'm really intrigued uh, and, and, you know, I'm fascinated with the way that they choose to talk about different things. Yeah. Um, Hard things too. I, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. My, my five-year-old, the youngest, she is starting to learn about the hardness of the world. I think just because of, of, you know, sometimes there'll be the radio on or the older kids will talk about stuff. And so she'll be like, she's lately said, been talking about when the world ends, she's like convinced the world is going to end. And she has a whole plan that we're going to build a rocket ship and we're going to have space. And she like draws pictures of these things. And it's really disturbing in a way, but then also she's just like kind of happy and exploring and curious about it. It doesn't, she's planning. Quite, she's not, yeah, scared. she's planning when the world and we'll go in this rocket ship that's shaped like a bunny and we'll go to another planet. And now where, um, where, where do you think she picked that up just from? I don't know. Well, she asks quite, well, my son, he said one day the sun will explode and the world will end. That's <laughs> because he learns things inside. And then my middle child, she gets very stressed out and she's like, what? And I'm like, it's not going to end. And I have to constantly be like, that's, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in our lifetime. You know, with the little ones, you can't give them too much scary, you know, scary stuff about the world. Whereas he right now is at the age where everyone's telling him, okay, the world's dying. The, the sun's going to explode. There's got, you know, everywhere people think he can handle that. And so he wants to talk about it, but then he forgets they're around and she stresses out. And then the littlest one though, will just be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> here's your spacesuit that I drew for you when the world ends. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> good. Well, there's there's fashion involved. That's good. Yeah. Right? No, yeah. and that and those are, you know, it's it's difficult for them to contextualize the time frame for that kind of thing. But it's, you know, someone someone says those words and those those are those are big words to say, and it and it takes a while to process it. I I think the youngest is handling it the right way. She's yeah. You know, <laughs> she's not panicked. Have a plan for all of us, but I think it's funny. Like I've always told my son, and like I said, he's a rule follower that about the internet and everything, like you can't unsee something, you can't unhear something. Once it goes into your mind, it's there forever. And you don't, you don't necessarily want those things. So, and he follows that, like he knows what will scare him and what won't, but then there comes a certain point where I can't control that anymore. Like the images and the the things that he hears and understands. And so I feel like right now at 13 yeah, in school and friends, and it's just all of this stuff that, that he can't unhear and unsee coming at him at every yeah. direction. It's the age where everything speeds up. His body's speeding up, his understanding, 
And even though he's grown as a person exponentially every day, he's being presented with even more. And yeah. it's, it's, it's tough to, tough to understand, let alone talk about the things that you're experiencing. And, um, you know, it's, it sounds to me like you're giving them, you know, the, the space to do it, which is, which is tough when you're trying to, to, to guide, um, you know, and you, I think you always hope you're guiding by opening doors, not closing doors. But um, sometimes some of these things, it feels a little scary mm-hmm. to, to let them sort of go forward with the independence they need to become, you know, full people. Right. I don't know about your 12 year old if she's at that stage yet where they kind of stop talking to where they're like, uh, it's fine. It was good. <laughs> yes. Well, and then um, with the phone and with in our house, she's got the the top floor of our house mm. where it's um, she's got a like a bedroom and there's a little room next to it. And then there's an office up there. But it's sort of it's just her. So oh, she's got a lot of space and there's a lot of times where I get the Yeah. Yeah. You know. And no, really, how to go? What was your favorite part? So on and so on. And it's pretty short answers. You know, the friends, the social part of it is, is taken over. Uh, and, you know, her friends get the full part of the story, but then they're figuring out how to be more grown up friends and how to experience their boys are becoming a thing. Um, there's, there's flirty, there's, there's been tech, uh, flirty texts sent by, by gentlemen and, uh, they're, they're trying to process. I, they made end up making fun of this guy. Yeah. He was pretty, he's 13 and he was professing his love. Oh. You are the best to one of her friends. Um, I think you are the sweetest, smartest, most beautiful and just oh. really sort of like, and they, they pranked him. Oh no. Yeah. They gave him the wrong person's phone number to send the message to oh and i'm, I'm getting like thing. snippets of it in the car while i'm driving i'm like oh no you can't <laughs> like, <laughs> i feel so bad because i was that boy <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> uh I, I it was a handwritten note at that point but you know mm-hmm. all right that's funny yeah <laughs> yeah my well, son he he mainly um I think because he's, you know, discovering his own orientation, he's not been that inch. He just kind of makes fun of people who are doing all that. Like, oh, they're so, they should be focused on school. I'm like, there oh, you go. good. <laughs> Their GPA totally dropped when they had a crash. Yeah. We got to yeah. focus. <laughs> focus. The world is not going to fix itself. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. Well, so I, I, I appreciate you talking with me today. It's always good to see you. And um, tell, tell folks before we wrap up where they can get the, because there's two books coming, right? Yes, I have um, Swan Wife, which comes out right before my 40th birthday, actually, August in August. So then I can say I had a book before 40. And um, it won the Cider Press Review Editor's Prize. And then Driftwood Press is publishing my book, Hillbilly Madonna in November. Which is maybe one of the best titles. I yeah, <laughs> it was. It went back and forth between titles, and then I was like, I just gotta go with that. That's. <laughs> I'm I'm still holding on. I had a professor in Miami who had a book called Sex Lives of the Poor and Obscure, oh which I always thought was pretty great. But he'll yeah. be on us. It's that's right up there. Yeah. Uh, where's the best place for them to? Can they pre-order both of them? 
Yeah, they're both available for pre-order. Um, and if they're in the Cincinnati area at Northside Tavern on August 7th, we're having a big party um, book release thing so they can come so get I, it. I've been to Northside Tavern. So that, that's a have good place you? to go. I have. When I was in grad school, we would drive over from Miami. I love that place. It's great. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Before we go, uh, I want to thank Emily Caldwell for recording the introduction and for the band Pagination. Uh, for doing all the music. We're going to do a few more of these uh, before we wrap up. But Sarah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right. That coal. I told my children that coal was a mountain fever that men had ridden the blood of the mountain into the valley and then flooded the valley so that they could pick up the paychecks off the dead bodies that floated there and those bodies that felt the rush of cool water before they expired. They were the lucky ones and that coal in America is our fourth saddest slaughter story. But for some reason, very few people have had to answer for the body count. So if they want to, if they really want to, my children are welcome to tell anybody that manages or owns coal to fuck right off because language is important and I don't want them wasting those words on anybody that doesn't deserve it.